Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Health Points with myself, Ben, and Pete Jenkins. Hi, everyone. Today, we have with us Silja, and it's a really interesting episode because we're now diving much more deeper into emotional health because all the previous episodes have been around physical health and well-being. Silja has a background in mental health and is currently wrapping up a PhD in clinical psychology. She's ventured into the world of AI and gamification to help people help themselves, which is principally through the emotional fitness app EQ, which she launched with her company Psycaps, where she's founder and CEO. Psycaps is a mental health tech company that builds platforms for emotional health, focusing on prevention and early intervention. She's an honorary research assistant at UCL and a mental health expert with the Wonder Woman's Tech Foundation. So it's fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very thrilled. Brilliant. So it'd be great to start to kind of give me a bit of a background of how you ended up working and creating Psycaps, EQ, kind of clinical psychology, gamification. What's your journey been to get here? Well, my origin story actually starts very early when I was about 12. I moved around a lot in my life and I always felt that the world and life in general was very chaotic and uncontrollable and unforeseeable. And when I was about 12 and my sister was 15, for her birthday, she got a book about body language. And I remember opening it up and it blowing my mind that there was a science out there that could help us understand ourselves, our behaviors, our cognitions, why we did the things we did, why we reacted, as well as other people. Like that there was actually a structure or a science out there. And I guess I'm one of those people who are very blessed that if they found something that they want to pursue, that the more they learn about it, the more they love it and the more treat they get by it. But when you study psychology, you learn all about diagnostics and symptoms and treatments, but you don't learn about the healthcare system, right? So when I moved from Germany to the UK to work with the NHS and um, I was sitting in the Priory as a second or assistant psychologist writing down the anamnesia of um, a young girl, she was about 17 years old, she was telling us her story and she was sitting there, tall, beautiful, one of the best schools in the area. Her whole family was there to support her, inclusive, like her little brother. Um, she was intelligent, had everything going for her, but I could tell she was barely hanging in there. She was really struggling. And she had been on the wait list for six months and her first symptoms were when she was 14. And I just thought it is, we are coming in way too late with way too little and if she had had the tools to recognize that the way she felt 14, 15 years old wasn't normal teenage things and how to get access faster or to get something where you don't have to go on a wait list for six months, she wouldn't be sitting there. She would be, you know, getting in trouble with her peers in, in, in a healthy way, right? So I started looking at the healthcare system and seeing like, even if I worked myself to the bone, I could only help maybe 20 to 30 people at any given time. And that's just not enough. I think around only 35% of the people who are actively looking for mental health care. So this was like in 2016 when um, uh, there was a lot of emerging research that web and computer-based interventions were successful. So they had about effect sizes of um, uh, pharmaceuticals, like drugs, or face-to-face -face therapy for a certain population that, you know, enjoyed using this, these tools. And there was this huge movement from going from the PC to apps at the time. So I said, okay, what if I kind of like translate the web-based interventions into an application? And then everybody, you know, they could, like, you know, they don't want to get into details, but you could theoretically have therapy on the loop. 
you know, right? And it's so private, it's on demand, it's direct. You can, it, it's just, it's ideal for people who are, you know, also maybe struggling with stigma or they have peak times that are out of office. Um, so uh, this was in 2016 when you Googled depression or anxiety, you got maybe 50 apps. Now you get about 5,000 applications depending on which app store you are, right? So I designed my first game, uh, sorry, product, the first application. We did a clinical trial. We could prove that using this product over four weeks significantly lowered depression, anxiety le levels up to the level of a beta blocker with no side effects, right? And so I said, okay, I'm going to go save the world from depression, anxiety for like $9.99, right? So anybody can afford this. Um, well, the world did not want to be saved that way. <laughs> like I launched the app and... <gasps> So I thought, okay, maybe I just did a really bad application. It's not, you know, I wouldn't be surprised because it's my first app. But when I went back to the books, I saw that that is a general problem that all mental health digital products have. So the American Psychology Association says that people spend on average two minutes on a mental health app. And most of the population, this is a, a big problem because most of the population will say, okay, maybe this is something for me. They will download an application. They will not resonate with them. And then they will say, digital therapy is not for me, instead of downloading the third or fourth or eighth application and testing different applications, right? So because I'm interested in a young audience, young audience meaning like anywhere between 16 and 35 for multiple reasons, I, I thought it is too good an opportunity to let go of the possibility to help people digitally. How do I get people to stick to what is good for them. And if you look at this population, about 70% of them are casual gamers. And there's a lot of emerging research that shows that gaming casually is good for your mental health. So I said, okay, I think we are going to become like the vitamin gummy bears of the mental health space. And we're going to make taking care of your emotional health and mental health fun, enjoyable, and something that you actually want to do. And it's not homework or it's not work per se. And that's pretty much how we, we started into going into gamification, gamifying mental health and using our innate human ways of learning, which is through play and narration to teach psychological skills that everybody needs to be able to deal with mental and emotional stressors. Quite the journey. I love the vitamin gummy bear example, as some kids won't take their medicine or vitamins, but offer a gummy bear version and suddenly they're looking forward to it. How do you take the same principles and make mental and emotional well-being and self-management something people look forward to? It's the same with education and teaching in schools. Great teachers don't change the content you'll be learning for the exam. They change the delivery to make it engaging and fun. What does that look like for EQ and where is it going next? So what I kind of did is I deep dived into gamification and gamifying, and I looked at all of the features and different ways to gamify content and kind of chose the things that we can use in an ethical way, right? So kind of, if you look at um, games in general, they're from a behavioral psychological standpoint, probably 20 years ahead of therapeutic science, right? Because they want to get into your portemonnaie, right? <laughs> and that is a, a powerful motivator. Um, so I can use this feature. I can use this feature. I can use this uh, strategy and this tactic and everything and put it together. How can you put it together to something that you can still have to, you know, relay the content. And by doing that, we chose a choose your own adventure game. And there's a lot of 
interactive games out there that are, um, you know, generating millions and millions. So it, it's intriguing people and they want to be part of the story, but they're often empty. And I would say often very bad for your mental health, right? So I don't know if you know about choices or episodes or like, uh, my sister is impregnated by my husband and my mom just killed my dog. And then you go on that adventure. So it's not good for your mental health, but you can use exactly the same principles to teach psychological skills. And that's exactly what we're doing. So we're teaching cognitive behavioral, positive psychology and systemic psychological skills that we call low hanging fruit, things that are easily understandable, easily implementable and have a huge impact on your well-being. Um, so for example, one of the first things we teach is generalization. Generalization is something we all do. It's not great for our uh, mental health, but it is one of the main symptoms of depression and anxiety. So a typical generalization for someone would be that they go into a party and then someone that they know, they say hi, and that person just kind of like turns away and rocks off. And they'll think, oh, it was me. Uh, that person doesn't like me. I am unlikable. And just imagine what it feels like if you truly believe you are an unlikable. And cognitive behavioral therapy teaches you to recognize this and then challenge that thought. Like maybe they didn't see you. You know, maybe they forgot their glasses or their contact lens. Maybe uh, someone just called them and that was important to them. Maybe they're just dicks, you know? <laughs> There's all these different options. And that believing a, something different outcome is gonna give a huge difference on your, on your well-being in that moment. And if you keep on practicing that habit of recognizing challenging, generalizing thoughts, it will change your mental health to, for the better that is the same like take thermodynamics and entropy like the, uh, the innovation with an entropy like take headphones they wouldn't mm -hmm. be entangled that's because there are so many more scenarios where they are tangled as opposed to not being tangled but generalization i can think of so many times now where i've just had that singular mindset and not explored all the different permutations of what was possible yeah, yeah. that may have been reasonable and more likely how do you train that within a game? Because I can understand how that kind of positive psychology understanding, what does that look like when you train that in the game? Okay, so when you enter the game, there is a lore, a backstory, right? And it's written by Marvel and DC comic writer Ari Kaplan. And the, the idea behind that is that all the evil, corruption, greed in the world has gelled to a being that we call the quavering. And it's out there and it's snuffing out people's inner light. And there is a small group of brave people who have decided to go on a path of tr uh, psychological transformation to bring back their light. And then when it grows enough, it overspills and it, you know, it, 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 it removes the quavering. And these people are called lodestars. And you have been invited to become a lodestar because you are the tipping point, right? So the moment you download the app and you say, okay, I'm going to go on this path, you are being accepted into the group of the lodestar and someone who's already gone through the process is your guide and teaches you the psychological skills in a very visual way, like generalization, like what does it feel like? How does it look? And then there's a quick choose your own adventure, um, not choose your own, sorry, multiple choice question to make sure that the people have understood the, the concept. And if they choose wrong, it explains why and asks you to do it again. And then you are kind of catapulted into a futuristic storyline, or maybe even in the past where you have to go through the adventure, playing yourself, you build your, your avatar, and then you reach challenging points where you have to remember and implement the psychological skill that you learned. So someone, one of the other characters generalizes and you either take that on and say, yeah, you know, this is really terrible. We're all going to die. Or you say, wait a minute, this is a generalization and this is how I could be thinking. And 
So what it does is it, it helps train the brain to recognize generalization and implement it so that even if you wouldn't think the same way in that moment, you are kind of like forcing your brain to recognize that are other options. And that alone already gives a bit of plasticity that it wasn't there before, right? And about 80% of our players actually go and implement the skill they learned within the game within a week. And I think that's why our retention rates are so high, not just because the game, because it's fun, but they go out and they go, oh my God, for the first time in like a year, I could get my mother to sit down and listen to me. Or they go, oh, so when my partner's kicking me under the table, they're not just being, you know, annoying, they're making it a bit for attention and connection, you know? And how are you tracking that? Are you asking people in the app as follow-up questions over certain time periods? Or how are you finding at 80%? Because that's incredible. But how do you track those outcomes? Um, we have about um, three different ways to track outcomes. The first one are we have an interactive chatbot and we can put anything into the chatbot. And so we use uh, we use clinically validated questionnaires like the GADZ7 for anxiety, the PHQ8 for depression, the adult resilience scale and things like that. And we can ask, you know, how, you know, did you use a skill this week, for example. The second one are questionnaires that go alongside it in our clinical trials right? Because you have to have a control group, you have to have a test group and, and a waitlist group. And the third one is our players are very vocal. <laughs> we have a feedback option and they use it a lot. And so either they will leave us a review and tell us all the wonderful and terrible things about the game, or they will actually write us emails. So we get about two to three emails a day from, from our thousands of players that are like, this changed my life, or I got stuck on this level and that sucked, or I want this, I want that. So we get we have a lot of interactions with our, our users, our players. That's very interesting. Well, a question that sprung to mind for me was you've got the expert writer in from Marvel, but you've got the mental health details, the actual medical approach, I guess. So how do you go about creating the story and making sure it does teach the right skills? Do you script together? What tips can you give us? So um, what we do first is um, I had a kind of like a workshop to decide which psychological skills we teach and why, so that everything is evidence-based or at least empirically based. Um, and then once we had a list of all the skills, we decided in which kind of flow we would teach them and then what exactly about that we wanted to teach. And then I sat down with my writers and I, you know, really taught them all. And it, it was a great experience because it showed like they had the same kind of reactions to the skills as our players. And you could just tell that it, it was a good choice. It has impact. I reckon, oh, wow. Okay. This is that. Oh, okay. So lots of aha moments. And then we have a very formatted decision-making tree in the game and they have to stick to that. And then myself and my psychological colleagues in our, our company then go through and make sure that it is according to ethical clinical standards so that, you know, for example, there isn't any, that if you do fail, you fail in a positive way. Like it, it's fun to fail. Like the endings of the stories where you don't make it are almost more enjoyable than the stories where you go on, you know? And then to explain why you failed to give them another try or how to question a psychological skill in a way that is clear. So it's, it's a multi-layered approach over many levels before it's ready. That's brilliant. You, you alluded to something now, though, which is if it's that much fun to go and fail, do you find players play through again, but badly? Do you find them actually not doing it the way you want them to do because they want to experience more of the storylines? 
Um, yeah, we do have a lot of players, um, that at least in the first version. So we have two versions out there. The first version was a five-week course and only had five levels. And the new one that's out here out there now is 52. So it's a whole year of gameplay. And every week there's a, a new level that unlocks and the stories are interconnected. And in the first game, the people would come back and they would try to find other endings and, you know, fail on purpose, or they would go and they would, you know, purchase extra content so that they could play on. That was one of the reasons why we made the game longer is because they were looking for more content. 52 levels can what happens at the end of then is your ambition to just to keep going or do they go back to the start again because i guess one of my working in community health one of the biggest challenges are is that people will go through say a community rehab program get to the end of it and then the options are they're not there so people fall off and they kind of revert back to where they were months and weeks ago what's your plans beyond that what are people doing beyond week 52 so that is exactly why we did 52 levels, because the five-week course, you have this typical bell curve, right? So you have um, a, a amount of the population that digresses back to the baseline after three months, after six months, after nine months, right? That's just, and then there's a tiny amount that kind of stays with, with um, the positive outcome of, of the intervention. In the 52 weeks, you not only learn new skills, but you replay the old skills over and over again. So the layers have each each level if you go down gets more and more difficult and you have to replay the skill so it, it becomes ingrained we are planning more stories so people can play longer but from a psychological standpoint or belief is that we don't want to be an everlasting therapy you know we we want to be able to say theoretically after 52 weeks a whole year or maybe two years or something like that they should be able to stand on their own two feet and have a permanent preventative effect or have, you know, um, healed from low level depression or anxiety and not need us anymore. And then if they do come back, it would be for pleasure for the story, not because they need the psychological skills. I think that's one of the nice differences between working in the health side of things as opposed to the commercial side and needing to make it so engaging they come back forever and ever. Because actually yeah, yeah. what we want to do is just teach the new habit or behavior. Yeah. And then a good success is take away the scaffolding, the crutch, yeah. and it should, should work without. Yeah. Exactly. Like, go out into the world, spill out the lights and happiness and joy that, you know, you've, you've learned how to maintain and, you know, live, you live your best self. Now, I'm interested to know if you track how viral this is in terms of the players spreading the word to other people. It's my experience is people with mental health issues, particularly around depression, do tend to speak to other people once once they've admitted it and started doing something. Do you see that in your in your figures? Um, yes and no. So there is spillage for sure, but usually it's only very inner circle. So people will give that to one, maximum two other people. Um, and then the other thing is actually on us because we haven't made any features that make it easy and give people a reason to reach out. It's like, it's on our roadmap, <laughs> it will come. Uh, but we haven't quite been able to tackle that yet. We're looking for different ways to connect people to have like maybe um, a, a mini game that they can only play if they invite someone else. And then, you know, you get your emotional health coach sent after that or something like that. And then that kind of introduces the other player to the game and things like that. So there's a lot of things we can do and we want to build communities and everything, but it's kind of like a science in itself. And our team just doesn't have that person that can do that yet. 
because earlier you mentioned that one of the issues was getting the word out really seeing enough people use the app and then you focused on engagement so that people actually complete the game how have you gone about increasing the reach so that more people know about it and i was thinking about ben here because he he's got this partnership approach that he uses but what do you do um, we're pretty much the same. So um, we kind of pivoted from B2C to B2B um, early this year or late last year. And so we have a B2B2C approach. So for example, we've partnered with Unilever's brand Clear and through their campaign, and they did the largest global intervention and prevention campaign in history with over half a million participants globally. And we couldn't have done that by ourselves or unless you give us a lot of money to do that because you know you need to do the advertising. Um, and we selling to corporates. So the ideal situation for us is that a corporate knows they have a lot of young employees that specifically are struggling not to either go back into the workforce or they're, you know, they're, they're struggling with what happened during the, the lockdown. Um, and they want to give them the skills to be able to, you know, stay healthy or get better. And for us, it's ideal when the end person, the client doesn't have to pay for it, but their company does. Company gets happier employees, employees get the tools to be healthier, happier versions of themselves, and we can make a living. It's like compassionate capitalism. That's, that's kind of our goal. Um, so that's, that's how we get users. And since COVID, we've had about 160% take up on um, uh, downloads and, and users from search engine so we don't do any advertising it's all organic on the app stores how long do the games last what the sessions last and what's the average play time per app launch because a lot of with the explosions of apps on mobile phones a lot of it's around that micro game mindset that is five or ten minutes here and there do you see a similar behavior in the amount of time people commit because if it's through work um are they expected to do it during work hours or after work hours and therefore how much time are they willing to put in what do you see is that average use time game time our average session duration is between 18 and 20 minutes and it depends on actually the the reading fastened velocity is that the word um of, of the player um and we wouldn't necessarily want to make it longer because there is usually a peak concentration time on a device like a smartphone right so we're very happy with that considering that you know the average time on a mental health app is usually two minutes um and it's long enough to have an impact plus Usually the psychological effect of a session, therapeutic session happens in between sessions, right? So you get all this input, all this learning, and then it kind of like, it starts cooking over the week. And then by the next time you meaning you have processed it, it's become internalized and you know implemented and everything. And then you kind of reinforce it the next session and so on and so forth. So a lot of the magic is happening between our sessions. Usually about one session per week of yeah. time that would take to do a level, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and our our players, the the old game didn't have a lock. We have a lock, a blockout session right now because we have so much more content. And theoretically, someone could abuse the game by doing it all in you know one sitting and not sleep for a week or something like that, and have absolutely no benefits from it. So we we put in a lock, and our players are like ah, I hate this. I have to wait for a week. So what we're doing now is um, we are publishing an archive of mini games. There are all mental health related, but that are something that you can still tap into that has um, a you know, positive effect and kind of helps you over the waiting time until the next story opens up. Well, like game mechanic is definitely a narrative driven uh, yeah. approach to it. 
it's not the first person we've interviewed in health points. There's been a, a consistent theme around the importance of having great narrative. Are there other key gamification or game mechanics that you include in there, or is your focus to just have great stories and hook people in? People are very much interested in the avatar that they can build something that looks like themselves and they can play themselves. Um, people are very in interested in badges and collecting whatever it is that you need to collect to be able to level up and in feedback and seeing the, their progress. I, I think from all of the gamification elements that we use, those are the, probably the core elements that people respond the, the strongest to. There's something very interesting about avatars in psychology, I think. Yeah. Do you use it and the way they customize their avatar at all to get across any other concepts? Sometimes with avatars, you can, if you can visualize something, you're more likely to make a change in yourself to match mm -hmm. that. Do you do anything like that or are you just letting them sort of self-choose? No, we, we haven't done anything like that. That would be interesting because later down our roadmap, we're going to um, use or, or address other mental illnesses. Right now it's depression, anxiety, resilience, um, but we're looking at eating disorders, PTSD, ADHD, and things like that down the line, right? So that would be something that could possibly something to do with eating disorders, right? But one of the things that I wanna look into, we have the data, but I haven't been able to do anything with it yet is how accurate people make the avatar of themselves. And if you go on a scale from one to 10, like I try to make it as much as myself, or I try to make it as far from myself, and then correlate the, to their well-being um, uh, outcomes and say, okay, is there a meaning there that we haven't seen or heard yet that we could actually help deduct that theoretically when someone starts building their avatar and, you know, let's say we added green hair and, and pointy ears and, you know, butterfly eyebrows or something like that. So the unlikeliness that you would look like that would probably predict a certain outcome in your anxiety or depression or something like that. That's interesting. Yeah, because one of my early clients, they did a weight loss program through an app. And in it, they got the users to upload a photo of themselves and then the mm -hmm. software squeezed them by 20%. Yeah. Okay, so they just looked a bit thinner. Yeah. And those who had that, well, I think if I remember correctly, were 17% more likely to hit their weight loss goal. Because they could picture success. And in fact, they were starting to believe that was them. <gasps> wow. So, And this is where I think, this is why I think avatars and mental health could be really interesting. Yes, that is that is amazing. I guess, where's, where do you see this going now? Not just that, I mean, where is it going? How do you get them to hook in for that first one? Because the hardest part of getting anyone to start with an app is that first session. So mm -hmm. why is it they have the, why is it you've got such a good capture rate that they move on to the next? Because the biggest challenge with a lot of healthy lifestyles and behaviors is just, it takes up to three months to create a real behavior change and a new habit. How are you getting people to not need to see it and see um, EQ visible, but mm -hmm. want to try it and then keep trying it after that first go? Well, I don't know if you've had the time to actually play one or two levels. Um, personally, from my experience and the experience of our focus groups and the feedback that we got, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like they are literally playing a game, right? So it's not like, oh, I'm going to do my CBT journal and write down all the things I'm grateful for. It's like, I'm going to go play a game and, you know, the, the stories are like 10 chapters and every chapter ends with a cliffhanger. So you get pulled in back and says, you are hanging from the cliff and it started crumbling, but a hand reaches down. Do you grab it? You go, oh, I wanted to oh, happen. Who's going to save me? And you go back into the game, right? So the, the problem with a lot of mental health programs, digital programs out there is that it's more or less 
a self-help book that's a bit interactive, right? And to be able to do that, you already need the cognitive and motivational skills that you probably don't have if you're really struggling with a mental illness like depression and anxiety, or you're in the group that has enough resources that will probably emerge by themselves over time because they are actively looking and doing things that are healthy. So you want to get those people who don't have access to that motivation, that want to do something enjoyable. Because if you're playing a game, you're releasing dopamine, right? And dopamine is kind of like the, the novelty and excitement neurotransmitter. And that's what the brain is kind of lacking of one of the many things, food, depression, and anxiety. Plus, it's like um, a poster note for your memory. So anything that you learn while releasing dopamine, you're probably going to remember it. So I think it's more of a question, is this type of game for you more than a, how do I get people to play it? So if you're not a gamer, you've never played a narrative story, don't like reading. We get a lot of people saying like, oh, it's too wordy. <laughs> like, Dude, have you ever read a book? Okay, you haven't? Then we're probably not for you, right? So we can't, we can't take care of everyone. But the people that have an affinity towards us, there's a huge amount of the population, we're good for them. And to think about how to tweak mechanics and make it less narrative driven, but more kind of rebirds, quick release dopamine hit kind of approach to these games. Or do you think they need to be slowed down to be have a true read, understand, reflect narrative so that people can build those skills? Well, my my team is kind of wrangling with me to figure out how to make it a little bit less wordy. Um, the narration or to at least chop it off in bite-sized bits instead of having more text at one time because the texts are about the length of a tweet. It's not going to blow your brains, but you know, so I respect everybody's <laughs> opinions. Um, we, so we're definitely looking at making it more bite-sized. Um, through the arcade, we are going to have micro mini games that are kind of like not addictive but have that flow and the gamification which is very simple but it's usually connected to a physiological outcome that is connected to mental well-being but also there are many other things that you can add to it that are very exciting so for example augmented reality one of the things we want to do post-funding is add exercise to it so you can only unlock a specific treasure box or get to the next level if you go collect coins around your block Right. And you have to physically leave the house and go and collect those coins because a lot of the mental health apps right now, you click it, you check a box. Have you exercised today? So you you're sitting in your chair, you lift your foot and you're like, yeah. But if you have to leave your house and collect the coins, it's gamified. It's fun, but it's 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 still, uh, you know, it's still good for your mental health. I love it. And it instant kind of ideas of Pokemon Go and how successful that was because yes. like the idea you need to go out and do something to get this reward, get this treasure. It yeah. works as a game mechanic, as a principle. Yeah. We know it works for millions of people. Yeah. Um, I want to know what hasn't worked as well. I think that's what I mean. Where Over the journey you've been, you, you mentioned that you launched the app for 9.99 and it kind of flopped. But it, was it the game mechanics in there that weren't successful? Or was it just the marketing strategy, the pricing plan? No, that was the pre-product that wasn't a game. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't a game at all. It wasn't a game, exactly. It was one of your typical um, exercise, checklist, psychoeducation, that kind of thing. And then when that didn't work, we were like, okay, how, how can we engage people? And then we partnered with a game um, a development studio in Los Angeles that worked on um, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, American Barbie, Scrabble, games like that. And they gamified the, the process for us. Um. I think you should rather ask what is not so successful from a business standpoint, because the product itself is really good, but you know, the business is not always very good. And I was pretty much by myself until um, I, I partook on Techstars 2019 in Berlin. 
and I, I learned a lot about business. And then I was able to onboard team members that also that actually knew business. And because, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist, I'm never learned about business or one of the first pitches I had, the investor asked me, how much traction do you have? And I said, what is traction? <laughs> and he was just like, go away. <laughs> um, so I, I think I've made a lot of business mistakes along the way that could have easily been skirted. Um, but the product in itself, I feel we're going from strength, strength to strength. I'm sure that in two years, I'll look back and, you know, have a giggle of the product we have now because of all the things I've learned, but there hasn't been anything where I said we did this wrong. It's like looking back now to from over the last two years have been the things you've learned that you go like, those are like some golden bits of wisdom that I wish I knew a couple of years ago, but how to create that gamification, that, that engagement, that narrative. I guess it's just to kind of, to really go and research what is out there, what is happening. You don't have to reinvent the wheel and just kind of look what fits to what you're trying to teach and what is ethically viable. What a great succinct answer. I like that. Yeah. But there are so many games. I can't remember how many are being launched every month. There's got to be one that's probably a pretty good fit for whatever we want to do. Yeah. And I was thinking about your issue with some users not or some players not wanting to read because they don't necessarily read a book. And obviously that's a growing issue, I would think. And then I was thinking about, well, this type of game is also the Choose Your Own Adventure can be done with video content. I was thinking of like Bandersnatch on, mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Or there's a, there's a really interesting game called Her Story, which is a bunch of video clips. Yeah, yeah, I think I heard of that. It's not even my kind of game, and I lost yeah. two or three hours in it, just like that. Uh, yeah, or if you go to, um, if you have you heard of um, Detroit Becoming Human? Yeah. It, it's the, right? So if you give me 50 million, I will make you that level of a game, no problemo, and you come out of it completely cured from anything. <laughs> I, by the way, that's why I like her story. You can obviously yeah. tell they made it on a budget, but that mm -hmm. it's still super engaging because it's the strength of the narrative again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. people don't have to read. They're just listening. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, we'll, we'll definitely have um, it read out loud at one point so that you can kind of just like listen to it like a story. Um, but I don't know about actually making a video that that's a lot of work. That would be that would be a lot of development costs. So, um, you know, give me money. I'm happy to, to give it a go. <laughs> you mentioned a few uh, apps and games there. So what are you use day in, day out, uh, whether it's digital apps or board games too? So this is really embarrassing because um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Angry Birds popping bubbles. <laughs> like I got to like level 700 or something like that. And I'm like, and I do actually love a couple of the Choose Your Own Adventure games, um, even though they're outrageous, but part of me likes the outrageousness of, of them, I have to admit. And every once in a while, so my partner's a proper gamer, proper gamer, like he plays all the zombie death 400 car race killer things that are out there. Um, and so I, I learn a lot from him. So uh, sometimes we sit on the couch and I read a book and, I, and then he plays and then he'll, he'll go, ah, and say, what is it? And he says, this doesn't work, or this is great, or something like that. And so that, I get a lot of insight from that um, as well. What is it about games? Is it to fill time or is it relaxation? It's just really interesting because you mentioned yeah. how you believe or that research is showing that um, games can be really beneficial for mental health. So mm -hmm. do you use it for your mental health when you use games as well? I, I really think you could say, think that winding down, Angry Birds winding down, that I did a lot on the tube 
when I wanted to kind of like seclude myself from the crowds, immerse myself in something pleasurable that didn't need a lot of brain capacity. So it kind of like, I guess you could say, um, what do you call it when you're escapism? a bit, right? So it, it knocks out reality is something very simple to do. And then sometimes for entertainment, like the, the choose your own adventure stories are, are very much entertainment. You want to know what's happening next and what, what's happening to the characters and things like that. Great point. How close would you say your game to entertainment as opposed to? I hope we're super high on entertainment and people don't even notice that they're, you know, getting mental health until they implement it and go, wow, you know, this is actually good for me. But the, the story, like I, find it beautifully written and I, I instantly dive into it and you know then it helps that we have that kind of music and the changing things and the characters and stuff like that so I find it very entertaining it's I'm always excited when our writer comes with a like a new chapter or something like oh what happened now and then you know something outrageous and I'm like oh this is so cool I would never have come up with this okay cool let's do it um or you know so I find it very entertaining any apps any games that you use for other parts of your life like diet fitness and that or or just whatever examples have you seen on the market that you think that's a really good use of gamification to create healthy lifestyles and behaviors i don't use any other gamified what's the brand called again it's a watch but it's not fitbit it starts with the g garmin yes there was um did a, a garmin challenge uh, once and I, I thought that was pretty cool didn't win but most of the products that I use are not necessarily gamified. Like, for example, I use Calm. But, you know, the, the thing is that I'm not really target audience, first of all, because of my age, but also because I have, I'm already been like baptized into therapy, right? So if I feel that I'm not doing well, I will call my therapist in a heartbeat and have therapy with them. So I, I don't need an entry level access to psychology because I'm already like swimming in it for years, right? I do a lot of games like, you know, signups or leaderboards or things like that, but usually they're not connected to any anything healthy. I'm going to digress here. There was something really interesting you said about you not being a target for games or gamified fitness because of your age. What assumption yeah. have we got there? So um, our core audience are between 16 and 35, and 70% of those people are casual gamers. If you go above that, it drops radically. So um, I'm 42, so you know I, I'm still kind of like a little bit in the range. But if you go above that, you know if you look at any 45 to 50 year old, then it's around 10% are actually casual gamers, right? So the age is a big indicator of someone would be interested in taking up EQ as well as their casual gaming status. So if you're a casual gamer and you're 42, you're almost as likely to download and play the game as a gamer and you're 24. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I was good. For a moment there, I thought you meant like you're too young to be a gamer or something. No, I'm like too old. <laughs> Where do you see the future of gamification in mental and emotional health? What do you think the next five or 10 years is going to look like? Um, I would like to think that we are kind of like the tip of the spear right now and that people, it makes sense, um, that bringing in the joy to the therapeutic process, playfulness, narration, games, is makes so much sense. It's, you know, what humans need. And I'm often surprised that it's only us with a handful of other people so far, but you can see it like every other month, someone pops up with a new, like, like a mental health game direction or using gamification. So um, I would be surprised. Gamification is like the new video content or something like that. Like everybody from 
onboarding new employees to cybersecurity, it's all gamified. Um, and I think that's a, a good thing because, you know, it, it fits our human needs. I think there might be too many games in the future. And actually that, that uh, takes away from through clinical intervention. Is that, do you think that's a possibility in the future that we focus too much on the game and not around actually creating, delivering clinical services? Um, not really, because um, there's a lot of emerging choosing of evidence-based products. So of all the mental health products out there at the moment that are digital, only 2% have actually gone through clinical trials at the moment. And that means you're in a very, very small pool of products that will actually be able to sell to corporations, to insurance companies, to GPs and things like that. And that therapists will actually use and suggest to their clients because they can at least know they're safe. So if you want to have a clinical effect, you're going to have to put a lot of therapy and clinical research into it. And yeah, I don't, I don't see that being a problem at all. Do you think that if people like an app and it's for them, like it doesn't matter, the average user won't care if there's what publications are behind it. Yes, completely agree. Procurement within health systems and being distributed, no doubt. But I'm sure there are mindfulness, gamified mindfulness apps out there, which are probably really effective for people's emotional and mental health, but just don't have any publications against it. Do you think that research could become a barrier to actually wider adoption of more game mechanics being delivered in more uh, apps? Um, do you think being focused on research too much could become a barrier? It's a huge barrier. So. I would say there are more or less two types of product owners out there and about 70 to almost 90%, this is just an estimation, guesstimation on my side, of them are individuals with no clinical background that are building the thing that they would have needed at the time of their anxiety, depression, or whatever they were going through, right? Um, and they have beautiful functioning tools out there um, that you know could be better, but that don't have any evidence and they don't know how to set up a clinical trial. They don't know how to get um, um, a, a clinical board. Uh, they don't know how to you know, go through an ethics committee and everything. Plus it takes like a year to go through a clinical trial. It costs thousands and thousands of pounds. And then by the time you've gone through the clinical trial, your digital product is already on version 0.8 or something like that, right? So it, we need to find a way to expedite it. And, and we're gonna start be using a new thing which is called micro randomized control trials. Um, that you can use real-time data on the spot and have the same significance and statistic reliability as, you know, a, a one-year um, thing. So I hope that that is catching up with um, the opportunities out there. But on the other hand, if you go through the app store, there's a lot of beep up there as well. Like I, I saw something about like depression and moon cycles and things like that. It's just like that is that could potentially be dangerous, right? So while I don't want to make the threshold too high, there needs to be at least a risk assessment. And I, I think, for example, Orca, the health app assessment platform is doing that quite well. It's like, you will get higher points if you do have clinical research, but it does what it's supposed to do and it's gone through risk analysis, then you still are able to be on the platform and consider it and you get you know, your, your scores and everything. I think Orca is a great example of a regulatory body for digital medical apps that's been needed for years and it's great it's been standardization um, and the additional points at the 70, 80, 90 odd points is based on do you have clinical trials, how big are those trials, I completely agree. Uh, Silja, it's been fantastic to have you on the show today to join us to talk about emotional, mental health apps, gamification, the journey you've been through and how you're working through PsychApps and EQ to 
particularly support younger adults and adolescents through their mental health uh, journey uh, through prevention, management and treatment. Um, it's been wonderful having the show and thank you very much for joining. Thank you so much. I loved your questions. I love talking to you guys. Um, and thank you also for you know challenging what we're doing because I think that's important. <laughs>